Welcome to The Resilient Rainer, the premier podcast focused on mental performance for equestrians and improved horse show performance. Whether you're a rookie rainer or a seasoned competitor, this show is for riders who want to take their skills to the next level and achieve their full potential in the show ring. I'm Nicole Burnett, and I'm a master mindset coach who's obsessed with helping you achieve all those horse dreams you always thought were impossible. Join me each week to develop a show-ready mindset and gain the competitive edge you need to compete with confidence. Welcome back, everybody. And I am so excited today. We'll have the special guests on the show. So we have Alicia Shirley, and she is just a wonderful, experienced and passionate physical therapist dedicated to optimizing the performance of equestrian athletes. So with her understanding of all of the unique physical demands of riding, she really works to help people enhance their skills, overcome their challenges in their body so that they can achieve their goals. And so today having her here, she'll bring this unique perspective and we'll explore this crucial connection between physical fitness and mental performance for equestrians. So let's give a warm welcome here to Alicia. Thank you for being here. And let's uh, dive into personal training and mental performance. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm actually a physical therapist, so I'm not a personal trainer. I'm sorry, I should. All right, I need to be more, more particular with my language. Thank you. I apologize. No, no problem. That's okay. Yeah. Just there are things that, you know, there's, there's PT, there's, you know, a lot of people call personal trainers PT as well. Um, yeah. So I really get the confusion, but. Well, what a great, great question. So tell me a little bit then about, tell me a little bit about what is the difference for a physical therapist versus a physical trainer? Cause I was imprecise. Yeah. Um, so a personal trainer, they, they can just get certified to do personal training in the gym. So working on strengthening programs in the gym with someone and they don't need to go through like schooling and that kind of stuff for, for that other than their certification for being a personal trainer. Whereas a physical therapist is actually a doctorate degree. So we have, um, we have an undergrad degree and then we have three years of physical therapy school. Um, so our focus is a lot more on like the biomechanics of movement. And then also, um, so along with the biomechanics, how that may be contributing to injury over time. So, um, like micro injury, like a shoulder, a shoulder injury, that's just getting worse and worse over time. Same thing with the knee injury, or if you have an acute injury, like you, um, carry ACL or you herniate and it's getting your back. We work on the rehabilitation process from that. So we are a, quite a bit more medically based than personal trainer who works with typically healthy people who are just looking to get stronger. All right. So I hear you. So because of your more deeper medical background, it's just, it's a lot more of a ability to help people who might have injuries or other things instead of just starting from a solid baseline. If you're starting behind the starting line, you've got yeah. a lot more tools to really help people. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, because it's kind of a unique niche to help equestrians. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in that. Yeah. So I, um, I've been involved with horses my whole life. I've dabbled in just about everything. Um, currently 
I do a lot of ranch riding, a lot of moving cows, working cows and barrel racing. So that's kind of where I'm at right now in my life. But I've, like I said, I've dabbled in kind of just about everything. Um, and solid in the saddle got started when I had a horse that was just kind of like intimidating me, basically. Like he, he knew that he could buffalo me and I was not confident enough to be the, the alpha in this situation. I wasn't confident to be his leader and through, um, kind of, honestly, it was just by chance. I was in physical therapy school when I got him and I was learning, you know, all of my body's strengths, weaknesses, asymmetries, that kind of thing. And as I started working on those and getting stronger, my riding got better. So I ended up taking this horse from being like him in charge pretty much all the time to me being in charge and our times improved, our connection improved, like everything improved. So we went from being um, in like in barrel racing with different divisions. We were in the typically like the third division. So 3D barrel horse to 1D. And wow, was, that's a massive change. Yeah, it was huge. And it was just like, I, when I had, when I was strong, I had the confidence to ride him and he's a big gelding. And, and so that's kind of how it got started. It's just realizing that being strong myself helped me ride so, so much better. Wow. That is so cool. It's, it's amazing. There's that, just that undeniable connection between our body and our minds and our writing. And it's just like a triangle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So are there sort of any like key elements or principles for when you're working with equestrians, you know, compared to other athletes? Yes, absolutely. So, so equestrians are unique in that we, we ride the horse, you know, we sit on our horse with pelvis and our legs around the horse, but the, but so much of it is keeping our trunk over our, over our hips. So if our horse cuts one way, we need to be able to go with that horse. You know, if, if our horse jumps forward, we need to be able to go with the horse without getting thrown forward and back. So because of that, it, we need to have a really strong inner core. So we need to have a strong um, abdominal muscle. The, the one that, that's most important for horseback riders is your transverse abdominus. You need to have strong back muscles. And then you also need to have strong legs to be able to, to cue your horse effectively and then stay stay on top of where you need to be. So those are the kind of the three main areas I would say that are important to strengthen. So your core, your back, and your legs. Mm-hmm. And you hit if you hit all of those on a weekly basis, you are going to see a massive improvement in your riding. Do you find that it, do you have any special considerations if it's a different discipline? Like if it's, you know, cutting versus ranch riding or barrels, like, or do you find that riding itself is, that's really the common denominator? Yeah. So, so there's, that's a great question because there is a difference between just riding versus competing. So, um, riding, like if I'm just out, like, riding moving cows or riding out on the trail. I still use my legs, my core, my back, but I'm using what we call slow twitch muscles. So and if I'm long trotting or like loping or, or whatever, I'm not, um, we're, we're pretty much always just going like in a straight line, you know, like mo- moving the cows. We're not, unless one breaks away and, and we're, we have to cut to go get the cow. That's, that's going to use some fast twitch muscles, but in general, just riding 
uses slow slow twitch muscles. Now, if you switch to a discipline where you're actually competing, like it's a timed event or you're doing maneuvers that are fast, um, that require some some speed and and that skill to stay on, those are using, you know, in general, sort of the same muscle, but on a way faster level. So I typically recommend that people start out getting their muscles, you know, active and strong with, with the different exercises, but then adding in a, a speed element to it, mm-hmm. adding in, um, agility training, any sort of like cardio, high intensity interval training, shuttle runs, burpees, that kind of thing. Yeah. If you're and you need to you need to have your fast twitch muscles, you know, active. And in my program, my six week program, I do offer some some fast twitch training within the program, just because I think it's important for horseback riders to to have those active when their horse spooks or trips oh, yeah. or you know anything like that. So we do things like um, instead of just squatting down and then coming back up, you squat down slowly and then power up and jump up in the air and then down and jump up into the air. So you're getting that, that fast twitch input. It's really interesting for me to hear the words that you use to describe it because from as someone who's not in that specific world of being a physical therapist, like my conception is more of like cardio or strength training or flexibility. And so it's really cool to hear you take those individual components and then you're putting them into a bigger hierarchy, you know, yeah. of like, yeah. yeah, okay, we need to activate this type of muscle versus this. And so we use these different components. So that's really cool to hear, just hear how you put that together. Yeah. And I think it's like, some of it is intuitive because some of it is, is what we do with our horses, right? Like, yeah, we I, I'm already in my mind as thinking how would how I already do this with my horse? And then you're talking about doing it for myself. So yeah. It would be crazy to take your horse to a barrel race if if you'd only ever trail ridden them, right? Like they wouldn't be prepared. You'd probably end up with an injury for your horse. You just, you would never put them in that high intensity, high speed situation if you didn't practice some sort of fast, you know. Exactly. You need that high intensity physical training if that's what you're going to ask them to perform at. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's the same thing for us, you know, um, it it just people probably don't think about it quite as much with themselves oh, yeah. um, you for for training their horse. So that's so neat. Yeah. So in your words, how would you describe how does the physical fitness and conditioning contribute to the mental performance for riders? Confidence. Confidence is key. So you will if this happens with everybody that that starts strength training you will have an an experience. You'll have something happen where you're working something and you will realize, wow, I sat that. Or like, wow, I didn't fall off. Or I, um, you know, you will have something after you start strength training, you will have something that surprises you about yourself that you were able to ride better than you did before. And repeated episodes of that just start building your confidence until you are like thinking that you're you know riding better than you have it in a really long time and 
So I have, I have like so many examples of this, but just a couple um, that might apply to your, your population of rainers. Um, So the first one would be, I have a, one of my clients who she has this younger horse, I think he's five. And earlier this spring, he lunged forward and she said she just like did a somersault off the back of him. She just like didn't stay with him. And then she did my program. She did the six week program and I ended up seeing her and she was like, yeah, my horse, um, he spooked out a rattlesnake and he went to the side, like, you know, up the feet, like really fast and then lunged for it. So she was already off balance and then he lunged for it and she stayed with him the whole time. And she was like, stoked. She was so excited about it because she, this is a horse that, I mean, he had dumped her in the past. She didn't think fast enough to keep up with him. Um, he's five. So five year old spook, you know, that's, that's just how it goes. And she was able to stay with him. And so, you know, you guys starting your horses and, and you're, you're riding really, really athletic horses that if they, if they get up from yeah. So having that confidence to know that if your core strong and reactive and your horse does spook to the side, you can go with him, you know, you can follow, follow the horse without having a tr- having any trouble. Um, and then, you know, I have one more example, cause this is just funny. This happened to me. Um, but similarly, you know, I'm sure that you guys have experiences that come up that are unexpected, right? Like, do you guys oh, ever yeah. have when you're out warming up, like, I don't know, a donkey in the pen or something like that? that yeah, no stuff just comes up and you never really, you don't always see it coming and it's not bad. It's just that you're not in that perspective of a young horse. And all of a sudden they're like, that's a new pedal. You know, that drip, this little puddle was not there before. I think it's concerning. We better worry about it. Or, you know, it's just whatever comes up, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, I feel like, so speaking of the connection, the mind-body connection, the more that we are worried about our horses spooking, the more they are worried about things and they the more they spook. Because like, you know, they feel our heart rate go up, their heart rate goes up. And it's just like this, like... Once they're in that high alert state, it's hard to to bring them back down. So, yes. um, you know, that if they spook, it's not going to unseat you. It just helps you be more confident and helps them be more confident as well. Specifically after I had my baby, I was not confident bareback. I just, I just wasn't like, I didn't feel like I had an independent seat enough to, to really like stick a horse bareback. And so your center of balance after giving birth, it really just changes. Like the, the way your like spine stacks, I think it's because your body changes so much through pregnancy and birth that you literally Mm -hmm. don't stack the same way. And so then when you start to ride again and you're like, well, I used to be balanced here, but now I have to be different. And it's, you have to relearn to ride in a new body and it's very, it can be kind of off-putting because you don't expect it. Yeah. Okay. I totally agree. I'm happy you had the same experience because I was like going on. So, you know, I did, I, um, I did my strength training and all that kind of stuff all spring. Mm -hmm. And then it was Easter this year, we were calving and, um, I got on and I really, really wanted to 
buy Easter eggs and like do the Easter dinner and stuff like that. I did not want to be calving, but we had four calves that day. And so my husband's out there like processing them. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go help him. I'm going to go grab my horse and, and go help go him. Make so it my, happen. Yeah, exactly. And so my old gelding was in the corral right in front of the house. So I just went and grabbed him, hopped on him bareback. Yeah. And, um, like I was confident at that point, you know, enough to, to get on and bear back. And I thought we were just going to like walk out, bring these cows back in. Like, yeah. yeah. So get out there. And apparently I picked the meanest cow in the herd to bring her calf in. And I was, so I'm like trying to bring her in and we're literally having to like nudge the calf to get him to stand up. Like he was just like, didn't, wasn't about it. Well, this mama cow got so mad that she charged my horse. And we were like pretty close to it. So it just happened like that. So he, you know, he got out of the way. He spun out of the way really fast. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I just stayed on. Like I, if that had happened a, a couple months before that, there's no way I would have stayed on. Like I would have been on the ground faster than I could have blinked. But um, it was just like that confidence that I was like, wow, I that did, it didn't like shake me up at all. I was like, you know, I stayed on so much so that I actually went back and tried to keep moving the cow and, and she charged again. And like, then I got smart and left. But my point with that is that I had the confidence to not just like get off my horse and walk back to the barn or walk in back and, and avoid her. Like I was like, no, I got this. Like, and that really, changes things like when you know that your body is strong enough to stay on or you know that you can handle different things you are just so much more confident of a rider you're more assertive rider you're more direct rider you give your cues without hesitating but it's huge because you're not worried about what's going to happen like with a spin or a jump and like you know for raining you're not worried about falling off because your horse really spins you know very fast and very well or in barrels, you're not really worried about, you know, when you come around that barrel, it's like, just, you know, it's like a, I don't know, like a slingshot, you know, and you're like, I'm, I'm going to be there. It'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, you know, especially like with your stop, I would imagine just having the confidence to know that you can like sit deep and and sit your stop without having to lean back or without having to go over the front. You know, I think that's huge Mm -hmm. is going into it, letting your horse get that speed. Like letting yours go and get the speed before they stop and just like having the confidence to know that you can sit it. Yeah, that's a big one. Cause in order to get a bigger stop, you end up going faster. You know, just I think there's that's so true in so many of these events, right? At the barrel race, you have to go faster or any of the roping events, like there's an element of speed if you're going to be really competitive. And so you have to have the confidence of I can ride that in order to go there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's really cool. So we're talking a lot, like we really both get that there is this physical and mental aspect to riding. When you're doing your training with people, do you have any specific exercises or techniques that you incorporate that address both? Or is it mostly just you're really focused on that out of the saddle work and it just transfers over? Um, No. So I have two. So First one is box breathing. So I love it. Do you do box breathing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So I do before I compete and it is, yeah, I have to do it. So um, breathing in for a count of four, holding for a count of four, breathing out for a count of four, holding for a count of four and just repeating it. And I always do it through my nose. So I breathe in through my nose and out through my nose. You can breathe into your nose and out through your mouth if you want. But I feel like when I'm nervous, I like forget to nose breathe. Like I, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know what it is. I, but um, it's calming to your nervous system if you breathe through your nose. It means that you're not like in that fight or flight method. So nose breathing is huge, helps me and my horse. And then the second one is affirmations. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily do this like always on my horse. Like it's, it's not something that I think that you need to, to make it be just on your horse or just off of your horse. But if you're feeling a certain kind of nervous, like if you're nervous because you tend to, let's see, give me a common problem that, that rainers have when they're competing. Oh, probably a really common one is just being able to stand calmly and quietly at center. Just stand without fidgeting, your horses and pawing, just quietly chill for a moment. Okay. Yeah. So if you just like say to yourself in your head, like, I'm calm, I'm confident, um, mm-hmm. I'm a leader for my horse, I can control my body and my movements and my horse's movements. And you just say three things and you say them over and over and over, then that just like it just comes true for you. Like that helps your body relax into that, that reality, I guess. And so affirmations and box breathing are my two go-tos as far as, as far as the mind-body connection. I love it. No, I, I'm the same way. And I, I tell people those same things all the time. I'll kind of warm people up to it. Be like, do you ever, like when you're riding your horse, you might say like steady, steady. And it's partly to your horse, partly to yourself. But I was like, you're probably already doing some of this in a not necessarily conscious manner because it is so reassuring, right? And so you can just take that to your advantage and just cultivate it. Like, okay, what do I really need to hear right now? And then tell it to yourself Yeah, and and just repeating it over and over in the box breathing because we all know we need to breathe, but how do you set yourself up before a run where you know, cause it's easy to be up in your chest and you're like, and you're, you're just not actually really breathing. Right. And so how do you develop, what technique can you use? I love box breathing where you you're like, how do I get that deep oxygenating breath that I really need to tell my body that it's okay. We can chill out a minute. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I feel, I just got so excited. I'm like, I do box breathing too. Like, Oh, that's awesome. And it- like really wants to work on that part of their game, like that part of their competitive, um, like edge, I recommend, I think it's, um, I think there's a free version, but I, I use a, an app called Headspace and I've used it for like for five years and, um, I, I use it with patients. So patients with like, like pain or their, um, their pain is exacerbated by, you know, different thoughts or anxieties, that kind of thing. Um, so they can just listen to like a 10 minute body relaxation, body scan exercise cool. where you, you know, like actually every part of your body, you know, like relax your big toe, relax the yeah. arch of your, relax your heel, that kind of stuff. And it just helps the whole thing that can be a really a good way for people to kind of manage nerves as well. That is really cool. Yeah. Cause it's also when you really 
are focused on that. Like you're with the affirmations when you're saying one specific thing or with the box breathing, you're counting and you're consciously breathing. If you do it like, and you fully commit, it can't help but pull you in to that present moment, right? Where you're like, I need to be here right now. I need to focus. Ah." Okay. But those are like actual things you can do. And then you're kind of all of a sudden you look around and you're like, I'm focused. I'm just here in the moment because when you just, when you do the exercise, when you scan your body, you're like, how's my toe? How's my toe? How's my, you know, ankle? And you just, you give your brain something productive to focus on. It kind of, it helps just wash away all those not so helpful things. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No, those are great examples. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Okay. Well, so here's another one. So you've mentioned that you work with a lot of people who might be kind of behind the starting line. They have some sort of injury. So how do you set goals for people when they're working with you? What role does goal setting play in your kind of training approach? How does that, how do you approach that? That's such a great question. So I, maybe it's just because I am a physical therapist and I, you know, cycles for people all the time. I see so much power and motivation and discipline if you set goals. So like people, it's really hard to stick to a home exercise program. It's like, like even for myself, I don't have a reason to do it. It's hard for me to stick to working out. But if I do have a reason to do it, then I'm like all about it. And so the first goal that I set for people is I do three muscle tests. Like I do three, three tests that test the muscles of horseback riding. Essentially, one of them is a wall sit. So that tests your leg strength and that kind of stuff. The second one is a hover, which tests your lower abdominal strength and also your just kind of like your ability to maintain a static posture with your hips and your core. And like a squatting hover or like a push up hover or. So if you think about being on your hands and knees and then you okay. just lift your knees up like yeah. a couple. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next one is a 30 second kneel to stand. So kneeling down and then standing up and kneeling yeah. back many times okay. as you, that's kind of that fast switch portion that we yeah. talked about. And so I have people measure that every week. So week by week, and people are always amazed. Like I had one lady go from a 10 second wall sit to like, almost a two minute wall sit. I know she wow. was over a minute. She just crushed it. And so that was so motivating for her for week after week to see, even if she improved like 10 seconds, oh, that's wow. huge. For and a wall sit, that seems like a long time to improve. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And so then starting like after they can activate those muscles, then we add in another one, the, the plank, just like a forearm plank. Same thing. People may, might start at 20 seconds and then by the end, they're holding over a minute. And so it's just motivating for them to like text me their numbers and be like, I held for over a minute, whatever it is. That it's just motivating for themselves too, to know that they're improving in ways that they not even notice, but their numbers are showing them that they are. And so I always, always, always ask people like, what are your writing goals? What are your motive? What, what do you want to get done this summer? For some people, it's to compete at every futurity over the summer or for some people it's to be able to do a trail ride that where they're going to be in a saddle for four hours you know whatever it is they kind of have that that angle and maybe it's just to improve their times and be as fast as they can and I feel like as as horse people we're all pretty competitive if we can beat right like raining 
Chris. It's kind of like, it's the thing that we say, but don't say where you're like, why are you going to this competition? I'm testing myself. I'm this or that. And you're like, I just want to crush everybody. Okay. I just, I want to win. I want to prove that my horse is amazing. Yeah, exactly. And so that in itself is just a huge motivator for people is to, if they like see it, an improvement in their horse or in their competition, when they're working on themselves, that in itself is like the best motivator for sure. That is. That's, yeah. Cause I hear you I, saying a couple of things. I hear you saying that you tap into people's why, right. And it's like, well, it's not just that you're desperate to do a longer plank because nobody's super motivated by that, but you're like, yeah, but you want to go to that barrel race and you want to do well. Right. So that's why you're doing, you know, this exercise at home. And then you also tap into the power of measurement and it's hard because you have to make sure that you're measuring the right things, but you, it's so true that it's so powerful to see your progress. And when you measure it, you can say, I'm improving. I'm not improving. How do you, you know, so figuring out how to quantify writing is, you know, can be tricky. And so figuring out, okay, these specific things that we know have an impact, we're going to measure that. And that, that then you measure your progress and you're like, yes, I can get better. I can, it really like, it taps into the horse people's innate competitive spirit, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and, and, you know, you hit on a great point where, um, like, it's not, it's not about the numbers of those things. It's what the strength of being able to do that allows you to do. And sometimes it is horses and sometimes it's on the ground. So for example, I had a woman who had breast cancer and she was getting back into riding after breast cancer and just getting her saddle off of the rack saddling her horse, brushing her horse, all of that, that took a ton of energy for her. And by the end, she was like, oh my gosh, I can grab my saddle, throw it on my horse. And it doesn't, it's so much easier for her getting on is another one. So that's something that I didn't really realize, I guess, naively, I didn't realize that that was a problem that a lot of people have if they're coming back after an injury or even just like some time off of riding, getting on from the ground can be really hard. But if you have the life strength to do it, then it's it's so much easier. So I usually ask people what what their why is, you know, what their what their yeah. reason for doing this program is. And sometimes it's totally different than what they actually think that they're capable of. Like they don't think that they that they can do as much as they do. So for example, one of my clients, she wanted to be able to lope. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even realize that like by the end, like after she got those muscles stronger, she would be able to lope on not only her old faithful horse, but her young horse and like lope how many circles to the right and how many circles to the left. And, and that wasn't even like, she didn't even think it was possible to be able to lope on her young horse, but just having that muscle strength and that kind of stuff, she, she really was. So I think goal setting changes as you kind of learn what your body's capable capable of. But it really just opens the door, which is really exciting. That is so cool. So some of this stuff, I think, ties into my next question. Um, But are there any other ways where, so how do you support riders? Because you mentioned it can be really hard to stick to an exercise program, especially an at-home exercise program. So how do you support riders in maintaining motivation and discipline throughout their training? That's such a good question. So... For me, one of the most motivating things is if I can cross something off on a calendar. 
Like if I know that I'm going to work out and I have have the workout written out for me and I can cross it out, I can pretty much make anything happen. And our workouts are only 15 minutes a day. So they're really achievable. Like you can you can cut out 15 minutes of of your day, even if you're like super busy. Like I'm a mom, I work full time, I have horses. Like I I am busy. I have a lot of irons in the fire, but I can still make 15 minutes. Like that's 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And um, and so what I do is I encourage people to print off the that week's exercise program and cross off every day that they do them. Cause that's just like that's something that's motivating to me. The second thing is having the weekly check-in, the the mm-hmm. where they see their numbers at the end of the week, because that kind of holds them accountable. If they don't do the exercises, they're probably not going to see as much of an improvement in their yeah. numbers. So it just kind of adds an aspect of of accountability to it. Oh, there was one more thing that I thought of that. Oh, this six days a week thing. So people here like like exercising six days a week and they think like, oh, that's crazy. Um, Or like seven days a week, they're like, no, I could never do that. But if you do for a short period of time, so it's just six weeks, say, you know, six weeks at six days a week and you dedicate 15 minutes a day, then you build that habit. So you're building a daily habit to make time for exercise. And that's what's important. So that's, if you just like, if you just say, you know, in your head, like, I'm going to work out every day for the next six weeks. Yeah, I have people work the same muscle group every day. So it alternates between core, legs, and back. So they're never at danger of overusing a muscle or overworking a muscle, but they're building their mental muscle to, to keep working out every day. So those three things, the crossing off, the check-ins, and then the making it a habit to, to work out every day, that's... That's kind of my way of helping people. No, it's because it's amazing how our brains too, when you physically cross something off, I'm sure we've all done that thing where you're making your to-do list and you write down like brush your teeth or take out the trash, you know, three things that you've already done just so you can cross them off. And it's just crossing it off. Like with your hand, it's very powerful. And I love making it a tiny goal because I don't know if you've ever read, oh gosh, there's. Um, atomic habits. And then there's another one that's like tiny habits, but they're books. And they talk a lot about making goals stick, making habits stick. You want to make them really tiny. And so you're trying to get at that idea with, you know, 15 minutes, like, you know, you can do 15 minutes, even when you're tired, you're like, cause any longer, you'd probably be like, I just not today, not today. But you're like, okay, I can do that. And it makes me think of for exercise, my husband has been really taking that to heart for tiny habits. And so after he goes to the bathroom, he does like a push up and a squat and a plank. And then he was like, so committed. He put a pull-up bar over the bathroom doorframe. So now he does a pull-up after he goes to the bathroom. And so it's kind of like, how do you make it super tiny and super achievable? I love it. But it's just about like making it tiny, tinier, even tinier so that you just reduce your resistance to doing it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's genius. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. Well, tell me, let's chat about how do you, so all of this is, you know, it sounds like when people come, it's really normal, right? You have an injury or you're just kind of a little out of shape and kind of lacking some strength, right? Because you really 
you have to consciously put forth effort to be in shape or it's probably not going to happen. And so just because of how life is. So how do you help people cultivate a positive mindset and self-belief to get them over that initial forward, like inertia of, I don't know, it's not going to, how is this going to work? How do you kind of help with that? That's a great question. So I I don't think that it's necessarily my job to take mm-hmm. people, like if we think about the stages of change or the stages of readiness for change, yeah. um, I don't really think it's necessarily my job to, to get people over the hump. I think my job is more to show them the transformation that's possible okay. and then look decide if that is something that resonates with them. So I am definitely not going to take someone who's never exercised and doesn't want to exercise and doesn't want to become a better writer. I'm not going to get them to be writing better or to be exercising to write better. But if I can influence someone who injured their back and they really miss horseback riding and they don't know how to get back to the horseback riding and competing. If I can show them, well, I broke my back and this is how I came back. And I came back stronger than I rode before my back. Yeah. Then you can see that that's possible. And then they can reach out to me. So yeah, that's kind of all I think that my role is, is to be able to show people what transformation is possible. And if it's something that resonates with them, then they can, then they can use the advice that I give them or the exercises or that kind of thing. But there's a lot of people out there that that aren't going to exercise and they're not ready to exercise, even if they do want to be be a better barrel racer or a rainer or show jumper or anything. Um, And I'm not going to convince them. That's not really like my role. I hear that you kind of view it more as, you know, you kind of acknowledge that there's that like, that period of faith, let's call it right. Where you're like, I'm here. I want to be here. And everybody swears and picky promises that if I do X, Y, Z, I'll get there. And so your job kind of just like shining the light or I'm doing a dangling the carrot, right? You're going to dangle the carrot of you can get there. And that's how you're kind of encouraging them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very uncomfortable, I think, phase where you're like, I'm doing the work, I'm trying, it's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's where, you know, you have to, you have to get people small wins right away. You know, if, if John, just in a week that their life strategy is getting better or that kind of thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. that just helps with, like you said, that period of faith, it helps them see that there is a process and that they're trending upwards instead of just, you know, plateauing or going back. Well, and I would even say when you mentioned that, that one of the things that you're doing is that you're using those, the goal setting and the metrics to help essentially like hold their hand through that period, because you're saying, this is your goal. Here are things that we're measuring along the way. And look, you are having improvement. And so it's kind of just like reminding them that, no, you are making progress towards your goals and that, you know, because forward progress is forward progress. It's not always going to be, it's not, you know, here to here. It's just kind of like week by week, just. Yeah. So I'll just ask you a little bit about injury. Cause I think that's kind of so interesting when you go, you know, compete or you go ride, you see all the healthy people, right? You see all the horses that 
didn't get lame, that didn't break their suspensory. You see all the people who are, you know, maybe they've got a cold or flu, but they don't have a broken leg. I mean, you've got the healthy selection bias here. So how do you address, and I know that, you know, for horses, we talk a lot a bit about, um, like injury prevention and kind of like progressive loading to strengthen the bones and the joints and the tendons and ligaments. And so that they can be strong to be conditioned. So how do you address injury prevention in your training for riders? Yeah, that's a great question. So I kind of am hearing like two different things, like one, yeah. like all the healthy, the healthy riders yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And then two, what you can do to prevent, to make sure that you don't have an injury. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, kind of, I'll have a lot of questions. So, okay. Yeah. So, so I think if you have a tendency for, for back pain, then you really need to be looking at your core strength and your back strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've ever worked with a horseback rider who does not back pain. Like everybody has back pain <laughs> at some point, like at some point in their career, they've had back pain that can either get worse or it can get better. So people can ride through the back pain and, um, just continue to strain those areas or whatever, or they can, until it turns into an injury, like a, you know, something that's more severe, or they can address it before, like in the off season, which being in Utah, you guys have, uh, this ride in the winter or are you mostly winters, the winter is a lot quieter here. Yeah. Okay. So like in Montana, we, um, unless you have an indoor arena, you're pretty much like limited to spring, summer and fall riding. We don't, there's p- some people haul during the winter and, and compete during the winter, but I don't have an indoor arena. So I, I don't, but I do continue to ride just not like on a competitive level. And I do the winter as kind of an off season. So um, that off season effect with strengthening. So core strength, back strength, leg strength, that like sets, sets me up and sets my clients up for an injury free show season or training season. So the stronger you can get your body before the more safe the tissues are going to be essentially when you're actually asking them for the, for the demand. Um, and so, yeah, I would just say injury prevention is a lot on making sure that your inner core is nice and solid and stable. Your balance is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and just overall, like your body is ready ready for the demand that you're going to put on it. Yeah. If someone has an injury and you mentioned you broken your back. So are there any specific mental strategies that you would find helpful during kind of that recovery and like during the rehabilitation process? Mental strategies specifically. Yeah, Cause it's, you know, when your body is for lack of a better word, I'm going to say broken, not working like the way that you're used to the way that you want. And it's, it's not me personally, but my husband broke his ankle. And so he broke his like ankle and leg in like three places. And it was, it was, um, amazing. I was like, oh, this is like a horse with a lower limb injury. <laughs> like you just can't, <laughs> you cannot speed the recovery. And it was months, like, you know, it was insane. And so it really, it gave me a lot more empathy and understanding for that, like the mental side of just recovery and rehabilitation because oh it is so intense so just talk about that oh that's such a great question because I think it depends on the person 
And they're the person, the injury, and how they've been able to process that injury. So for your husband, with it being months, like knowing that he's not going to ride for months, his approach to that was probably a lot different than someone who is out for three weeks with yeah. an over injury of their elbow or something like that. Like if you, if you have to get over that wall of, I'm not going to be riding for the next couple of months, that's, that's a lot different. And it can be pretty disheartening if someone like knows for sure that they're not going to be able to ride for the next few months, because that's what we do. We love horses. We love riding. I think. So I guess what I would say is if you can give your brain something to, or if you can, if you can give yourself something to work for knowing that getting back to riding is your goal, um, then that's going to help a lot. So having that, that thing to focus on. So for your husband, did he go through physical therapy for his ankle? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. I think, cause it, it just really stuck with me how much it, it can just really sneak up on you, you know, cause when you're generally healthy, things are good. And then all of a sudden it's just like, life is just totally different and it will yeah. be for a while. And it's, so even when you're doing all processes and doing this or that, the idea that you can't just get up and do whatever is it really messes with you mentally, you know? Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, so, and I'd like to say that, you know, visualization and all that kind of stuff worked for me and it does now that I'm back in the saddle, but it didn't back then. So I was, I, when I broke my back, I was in a back race for 12 weeks. So I was like, you know, definitely not able to ride. I think it ended up being about four months total that I wasn't able to ride. And I just like lost interest in it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't make myself want to be competitive again because I just, I just didn't feel like it. So so like what I would say to someone before I had that happen is I'd be like, oh, bring your saddle inside and do visualization exercises of you like running through your raining pattern or just visualize a raining pattern and do that every day. So you're keeping that skill up. But for long-term injuries, I don't think people are going to stick with that. I think that they, it's too hard if you're not actually riding. So that's where I really got back into wanting to compete once I started being physically preparing to, to yeah. ride, doing the physical therapy, also getting back to riding just on a small level, that kind of thing. So I would say my recommendation is visualization, but I also understand that if it's a long-term um, injury or, you know, something that's not going to heal quickly, it's, it's tough to get yourself to start thinking like that. So you just have to be, it's, it's, it sounds so flippant and I don't really mean it that way, but just to give yourself time and understand that when things are different, just allow the process to, to play out and that it can be part of the process to be intensively in whatever you're doing for your healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one thing that I will also say is if you have an injury in one part of your body, there are so many other areas that you can work on and strengthen yeah. to, you know, to help you get back to that so that when you are cleared by your physician or whatever, you can just jump right back in. So, so yeah, I would say like trying to, to always think about what you can do is, is going to be helpful. No, I love the, the, the reframing of, I think that's a really wonderful suggestion. So empowering to say, 
remember what you can do because all your brain's going to want to focus on is all the things you can't do, right? You can't do anything by yourself anymore. And so being able to think of what can I do is so powerful to reframe. And it's it's kind of pulling in a little bit of gratitude practice of what can you do? And that really, that shifts everything when you can find just that little nugget of goodness in the midst of the manure pile. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, I know that you're here on a limit. So thank you so much. This has been just such a wonderful talk. I am so grateful. Thank you for coming on and talking and just sharing all of your just goodness and expertise. So grateful that you were here. We've talked about your background and how we apply the physical training to horseback riding I'm trying to be careful. I don't mean physical training, but I know you're a physical therapist. I'm just, (laughs) you know, I'm trying to say how we apply all of these techniques to the unique demands of equestrians. And we just really dove into the mind body connection between caring for our physical bodies and training them and injuries and our mind and confidence and how all of that relates to our horses. We talked about goals and motivation and mindset and how all of that there's so much overlap and I loved your techniques. You're doing so like even the kind of those mindset techniques of breathing and affirmations, there's, there's a lot of overlap and being, you know, resilient. So thank you so much for all of just your valuable insights and your information. If people want to connect with you, why don't you share your website or your social media? How can people connect with you if they want to follow up? Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. I just want to say I really appreciate it. And it was awesome to talk with you. It's awesome to to connect with people who are also interested in improving themselves to, to ride better. And like you said, improving your resilience. That's huge. That's so important. So yeah, I loved getting to chat with you. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and email. So solid in the saddle, you can just search that on whatever Instagram or whatever social media handle. And then my website is www.solidinthesaddle.com. And my email is solidinthesaddle at gmail.com. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions or if anything resonated in this episode, podcast episode that you'd like to ask me more questions on. And um, I'm happy to, to chat with people. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. This was just my pleasure to have you on. And for all our listeners, just stay tuned for future episodes on mental performance here in equestrian sports. Hey there, podcast land. It's Nicole. And I wanted to make sure that you guys were some of the first to know that we are doing a very sweet summer giveaway. So it's going to go for two weeks. It's going to end on July 18th, and there is some awesome swag. We're giving away high-quality show pad coordinating shirt from Showstopping. We've got training, online training from Matt Mills. We've got a custom handmade, personalized to your horse halter. Anyway, almost a thousand bucks worth of pretty sweet horse kit is up for grabs, ready for you. All you have to do is check out the show notes or head over to Resilient Rainer on Instagram to grab the link for the giveaway. Super easy. And you can get bonus entries from doing really easy stuff like follow the podcast, follow us on Insta, or get your friends to sign up. 
and you get more bonus entries. So really sweet giveaway, almost $900 worth of stuff. And we want it to go to you because we're celebrating. So don't miss out and uh, see you next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening.